Right. Hello everyone. Welcome once again to Investing with the Difference. So today we are back again with a lot of information about another sister chain on EOS IO ecosystem that is Verbly. So we got a lot of feedback when uh, about uh, Telos when we did it last week, and I think uh, this is a very important part sister chains are playing, and Verbly I think uh, is uh, trying to bring fintech to EOS. And as I think many of you have already been aware of, they did a snapshot on September seventh. And they also had a pretty great conference, a web conference over the weekend, uh, which was participated well and uh, seen by a lot of people. So I'm sure that uh, you are already engaged, but we are not. Our focus today will be to learn about uh, verbally as well as uh, what's going on and try to understand for our viewers uh, what exactly you need to know. And the key dates, I think we already have been sharing this, but just to remind you, we already had a snapshot on September 7th and production network uh, is launched on September 14th and when you can start seeing the airdrop that is November 1st. So before, uh, without waste, wasting any more time, let's bring on Dominic from Verbly and uh, talk more about uh, what's going on. So hi Dominic, welcome to the show. Hi Roman, thanks for having me. So how how is uh, Verbly going? I think we did see a lot of information around uh, snapshot date, a lot of people got engaged. So where do you see you are at and uh, how would you see, how, how would you want people to see Verbly? Yeah, so as you said, we're a sister chain of EOS mainnet. You know, we're, we're saying that we're the financial district of EOS. We hope to be bringing uh, lots of financial services that require a high level of compliance, uh, something that wouldn't be able to be launched on a, a public uh, mainnet like EOS mainnet. And so, you know, we see ourselves as a real adjunct and add on to EOS um, where uh, people will be able to have access to things like crypto fiat gateways and insurance products and, you know, trading platforms and, uh, you know, lots of different features, supply chain that we're working on uh, with various partners at this point and development of the you know, share drop portals going well. Actually just got off with that team. Uh, we're actually a little bit ahead of schedule, which is good. Uh, it's pretty much built. So we're going to begin uh, doing some testing here, uh, making sure everything's working well. Well, that sounds great. So I think, uh, so we keep hearing this a lot about uh, the financial world, the KYC. It's kind of uh, doesn't go well with the, how people used to see blockchain at the start, the first generation or the second generation. People wanted to get away from it. So where did you, uh, like, how did this come about? Like, uh, when do you see a lot of demand uh, for, uh, like, for people uh, to look for a compliant blockchain, uh, which merges with uh, the existing world? So can you talk a little bit more, more about that? Yeah, I understand where you're coming from. You know, uh, you know, early, you know, Bitcoin and blockchains, right? They were about this sort of trustless system, you know, where you didn't necessarily need to know the identity of the individual on the other side, because really the blockchain was kind of vouching, right? You know, everybody has a copy of the ledger, um, you know, the transaction goes through, the funds are received. It's no big deal. Uh, the issue is, of course, is that with uh, global government regulation, uh, that, that doesn't pass muster, right? So one of the challenges we've seen in general is that because this rep reputation that blockchain has of this sort of anonymity, and we don't know where, where the funds are going, um, you know, uh, as a crypto startup or a blockchain startup, we, we can't even get bank accounts. Uh, banks don't want to deal with us. They're too concerned that we don't know where the funds are coming from, whether it's from fundraising or potentially even income, 
uh, you know, if you're running a DAP that's actually working and, and taking in uh, payments of any kind. And so, I mean, it took us three months to get a bank account, you know, just to give you an example. And I've talked to numerous other founders and entrepreneurs in the space, and it's a problem. Um, there's big, big projects that right now uh, can't convert all that Ethereum they brought in uh, into fiat to, to pay vendors, right? And to, to pay uh, expenses of the company. Because as we know, we can't all use crypto uh, quite yet uh, to meet all of our needs. So we felt like it was important to take that, what we're calling intermediary step. You know, we think there's absolutely a future where digital currency payments are abundant and that the bulk of people in the world are accepting them as payment. And as a result, we most likely won't need to move to fiat as often, or it just maybe won't even be required at all. Uh, and so some of these things may not be a big deal, but they are now. And in order to sort of scale crypto and blockchain and get the, the message and the sort of revolution that I think we're all a part of out to the less technical user or the, the more risk-averse user, the mainstream user, as we're calling them, there needs to be certain protections in place and that uh, people want to feel safe. So mm -hmm. we felt like as sort of blockchain people, which we all are to the core, if we could do this in a way and put the compliance in sort of upfront, that these regulatory agencies would sort of see that we're self-regulating, right? That we don't necessarily need to wait for them to hand down these rulings on what we're doing, but that we want to do things properly and we're not trying to launder money or we're not trying to build dark net markets and all these other things that unfortunately the industry's gotten a lot of publicity for, but that we want to truly do things like revolutionize financial services so that we can bring access to the 2 billion or so unbanked and underbanked people in the world, right? Um, or we want to find faster and cheaper ways for businesses to move money around the world. You know, right now, if you're a major corporate enterprise and you're making international payments, if you talk to anybody who's worked in one of those organizations, they're spending a fortune on that. The fees and the time, you know, business is about speed, right? You know, especially in a competitive global marketplace, uh, speed is everything. And so we know blockchain provides a lot of solutions uh, to move money around, to move information around even, and to do it far more securely. And so, we know that there's some reservations about Werbly. People are concerned with AML KYC and what that means and whether or not they'll be exposed. But the reality is that we have very, very strong privacy controls in place for the user. That this AML KYC verification data even is going to be private to the user and they can decide whether or not they want someone to even know if they're verified. Um, but at least on our platform, users will have that option and then dApps and businesses that require this compliance to operate. Uh, the feedback we've gotten already is that they're extremely comfortable. They've been waiting for a solution like this so they can enter the blockchain space with confidence and not compromise or bring unnecessary risk to their existing business. Um, and so it's, it's been overwhelming support, really. I understand. No, I think that's great. I think you explained very well uh, about the need for uh, integrating with existing systems because uh, uh, we do have an ideal world where we say that we own our own um, money as Bitcoin envisioned, uh, but people are struggling um, to interface with current world. And of course, the needs today, you cannot pay everything in cryptocurrencies. That's a very good point. So uh, so you talked about AML KYC and uh, let's uh, just uh, spend a little more time on that to understand. So this is uh, going to be 
um, you're using the same snapshot from EOS mainnet and perhaps uh, there will be an, a, a relation to EOS mainnet keys or accounts uh, to your Genesis block when you start verbally. Uh, so how do you uh, uh, make sure that the users are feeling safe about their EOS accounts uh, identities when you are going to do KYC for the same users on Verbly? Uh, will there still be a relation? So just to clarify, because this is one question which people are asking and concerned about. Yeah, absolutely. We've seen this in our Telegram. And so, uh, you know, we did the September 7th snapshot. Um, that was our way to create the opportunity for EOS mainnet account holders to uh, share uh, in Werbly and what we're doing. You know, we felt that it was important to uh, provide some value because we are a sister chain. Um, we're using the EOSIO software. We absolutely have respect for um, the time, money, energy that was invested to build the software that we're using. So certainly we wanted to reward the people who have funded that project, right? Um, so that's all of the users, including Block One, um, which we're share dropping on Block One too, if, if they choose to, um, you know, uh, access uh, their portion. Um, but the, the way the process will work is that um, the user is going to come to our portal and they're going to input their public key and then that's going to map to our snapshot, you know, the total amount of Wordly tokens that are available for their account will be revealed to them and then they're going to, on their own, you know, desktop or device or whatever they're using to access the portal, the private keys are going to be stored there. So we're never going to be touching your private keys, you know, very similar to like what Graymass has done or uh, many of the other EOS wallets, for example, when you want to vote, right, or something like that, or stake your tokens, right? You're not giving your private keys out, right? They're not, they're not going uh, online or anything or being stored anywhere. So very similar for us. Uh, we've integrated Scatter as our, our first wallet uh, as part of the ShareDrop portal. So the user will input the public key to make their claim, and then they're gonna have the opportunity to either use the same uh, account name they did on EOS mainnet, or they can make a new one. So that's up to the user. Uh, if they want a new identity on Werbly, they can. There'll be no uh, way for somebody to go back and figure out that this Werbly account is connected to this EOS account uh, from mainnet. And so I don't think there's any concerns there in the way we're doing it. Um, you can create a fresh account on Werbly that has no association with your EOS mainnet account. Um, so I understand. I, I think that answers the question. No, yes, it does. So I think that clarifies um, a very important part which people were concerned about. Um, but then again, coming back to the point that if you get the airdrop, do you, is it mandatory to do a KYC? And what do you mean by KYC? Uh, what do people need to provide to you uh, uh, to be part of Verbly? Right. So uh, it's it's not absolutely required. So you can claim your share drop um, and you don't need to do AML KYC. However, only 15% of the share drop tokens will be unlocked at that point and able to be moved or accessed by the, the individual. Uh, we, we need people to do AML KYC. So we've heavily incentivized them to do it because it's a big part of the network that we're trying to grow. Um, but we don't want to force it. We still want people to be able to have Werbly accounts without doing it if they just don't feel comfortable. But when you do AML KYC, an additional 35% of your tokens unlock. Um, and then we have a very innovative um, concept in our chain, which we call our usage algorithm, uh, 
which is that we believe that um, if the chain's not actually being used, then it's not providing a lot of value. This kind of comes to the idea in blockchain that people have lots of ideas, but they're not actually building anything. And so our block producer payment um, and the unlocking of the airdrop is all based on how many tokens get staked. And so once we reach 15%, from 15 to 30% of staked tokens is when the rest of the share drop tokens unlock. And what we're going to be doing is taking sort of like snapshots of the amount of tokens staked um, on a regular basis through that period. And then more and more tokens will get unlocked as well. So if a user didn't want to do AML KYC, the gist of it is they'd be able to unlock about 65% of the tokens without doing AML KYC. To get all of them, yes, you need to do it. Uh, the thing with AML KYC, though, that people need to really understand is that once you do it, that information that you put into the AML KYC tool is not going to be public on your profile. You know, nobody's going to know your name or your address or, or have access to your ID, none of that. You know, we're currently planning to launch with a third-party verifier um, that's going to verify the documents. It's a well-known company. Um, you know, they don't even store your documents. They just review them. The documents are stored on your local device. However, we are going to be capturing a copy of those documents because we need them to store on our servers for compliance. We're going to be publishing our privacy and security protocols for this so that users can feel confident. Um, we are going to be accepting the responsibility for these documents. So we have uh, you know, a lawyer on staff. We're hiring a chief compliance officer right now. We have vetted this with uh, global law firms and other compliance advisors on the team to make sure that this process is 100% compliant, GDPR, the whole thing, and that these documents are safe and they're secured um, so that the only reason that we would ever be bringing these documents back up in the future would be if there was some kind of a compliance audit. But again, even if auditors were to come in, it's more about auditing our process and us being able to show that we actually have the documents. You know, these auditors can't access that information either. That would be a violation of the user's privacy. So I understand that people aren't familiar with these compliance laws. They're kind of complex, but like, let's say for example, um, somebody wanted to question our AML KYC verification process out of England. Um, and one of the compliance bodies in England contacted us and said, we want to be sure that your AML KYC is, is proper. Well, First of all, they're going to look at our process. What are we capturing? How are we capturing it? What's the review process for the documents? Are we checking against anti-money laundering uh, lists of various kinds, terrorist financing, all of that? And we're going to have to show them our process. And that's most of what they're going to be auditing. Secondarily, again, we're going to need to prove that we've stored a copy. But then we're just going to be simply from that process and here's the databases and here's all the users which are going to be encrypted with, you know, uh, public again, public and private keys um, that, you know, are, are not accessible. So uh, I don't think it's quite the risk and the reveal that people think it is. Um, it's more about that we're doing things properly um, because this enables dApps to then deploy on our network and not have to have AML KYC on their end and they don't have to absorb that cost and they don't have to absorb that headache. The Worbly Foundation becomes the trusted third party that those users are verified 
And then the dApps deal with the regulatory environment in their own country. So if they're doing a crypto fiat gateway, they might need money service licenses in that country, for example. But that's up to them. That's not up to Werbly. They have to be compliant in their own jurisdiction. But then when users go to sign up for that dApp, the dApp's going to ask them, hey, are you AML KYC verified? And it's, again, it's still going to be up to the user to even reveal whether they are or not. You know, we're going to make this whole process where the user's constantly controlling their information, who has it. It's, I mean, people are forgetting that right now they're giving that information out all over the place to PayPal, to Amazon, to eBay, to, to whomever, Google, Facebook, right? Your information, your address, your date of birth, it's all over the place and you don't control it at all. You know, Facebook's using it for marketing. Google's using it for marketing. You know, Amazon's using it for marketing. You know, they're just using your data. We're not going to be touching your data unless you want to. You know, sure. you're going to decide. We're hoping to get data marketplaces, for example, where you can sell your data. And we're already in conversations with several groups to bring that to Worbly. So data privacy, user privacy is paramount. We're only going to do what's required for compliance but we are going to protect our users first and foremost. Sure. So, uh, Dominic, I think that is very good uh, feedback. And I think uh, what I would also like to add, uh, people think that uh, they are kind of protected uh, in the crypto world, but you need to also remember that most of the people have come into the crypto world through a fiat exchange and uh, they have already <laughs> provided a lot of KYC. Yeah. Uh, so I would say that uh, it's not very difficult. I, mean, I was just reading another article that how IRS or all these agencies can actually track down all your Bitcoin payments and there are mm -hmm. tools available, software is available now. So I, I agree with you. I think people are not uh, really uh, that good with uh, keeping their privacy. Uh, so I appreciate all the inputs you gave and I think I, I understand where you're going with it. So now one last question in this direction is uh, uh, when somebody... Um, accesses or requests the permission, will it be like, even if there is a government asking you or a DAP to share the information from the blockchain, uh, will the user still have the control or, uh, uh, or will it be available to you to share? So this is like, um, the reason I'm asking you is, it's an example is again, Facebook and Google, while they try to use your data, they also have the similar kind of disclaimers that you're, you're, you can do the settings where you control your data and uh, you, uh, they do not share it without getting your permissions. Uh, so that's exactly the same claim which uh, Facebook or Google make after the recent changes uh, to their policies. Uh, but we do know that uh, they, based on a government order or some kind of inquiries, uh, they do share data. So, and that is something justified by them as uh, following the law. So how do you uh, respond to that kind of situation in verbally and network? Well, I think, again, it's going to depend on uh, the jurisdiction, but ultimately, in our conversations with our attorneys, we don't see a reason why our government's going to come to Werbly. They're going to go to the DAP because the issue that they'd be looking at would have to do with some customer interaction with the DAP, not with Werbly. You're not interacting with us, really. We don't, you know, you're not... We're not going to be the crypto fiat gateway. We're building a dApp on the network that, that we're calling Gamma Financial, which is going to be like a, a decentralized bank. But that's going to be its own company, you know, separate from the Werbly Foundation. It'll, you know, we're going to incubate and help grow that uh, from the Werbly Foundation team. But then it's going to be spun out and, and function as its own separate entity. It'll have its own executive team, its own, you know, set of investors, all of that. It's going to be set aside and on its own. And so um, that entity might 
have to deal with regulators and talk about uh, situations that, let's say, it brings on a customer who's then engaged in some sort of uh, money laundering or terrorist financing, for example, they could be subpoenaed. But Werbly is never going to be subpoenaed because we're not the ones conducting any transactions with the users. We're just responsible for the core compliance. So the only thing a regulator is going to be looking at from us really is auditing our process, not user data. There's no reason for them to see user data. And we don't see a legal reason that we would ever be subpoenaed, so to speak, which is the scenario you're talking about by a government body to access our data, nor would they have the jurisdiction to do so. Uh, and we're being very mindful about where we set up the foundation. We're looking at a few different uh, jurisdictions to do that, Singapore, Bermuda, and we're basically looking for the most favorable climate uh, to do that in. But we'll also be considering multiple foundations in the future so that we have kind of decentralized jurisdiction uh, for the Werbly Foundation as a whole. No, that clarifies. I think uh, that makes sense. So one question then. Um, uh, so I think while we have spent a lot of time on AML KYC, so now let's get to the next level of uh, so what kind of application for a normal user? I think we are talking about financial services. We talk about fintech. Uh, but can you give? Uh, can you simplify and say what can a user expect on Verbally? Uh, like, will it be like exchanges of like uh, your Binance or Jaberu or Gemini or Coinbase, where you can actually buy using US dollars um, directly on? into crypto or will it be uh, some kind of banking services some kind of money sending service you already talked about uh, sending money from one country to another in a cheap format so can you give some more examples of uh, in next like after your network launches uh, what will be the success of verbally what kind of use cases uh, uh, would people li uh, like to see here and what you would like to see on verbally yeah, I think uh, uh, many of the things you've mentioned, we've had conversations with exchanges who would consider uh, opening a sort of a DAP on Werbly for the exchange um, that users can interact with. Uh, we're working with BitShares to build a front end for the BitShares DEX uh, that'll be accessible through the Werbly user account. Uh, we're working on with people who are building uh, decentralized uh, risk transfers, we're calling it because the, the person building it doesn't like the term insurance. Uh, but decentralized insurance platform. Um, we're looking at uh, supply chain. Uh, basically, there's lots of existing fintech businesses that want to use blockchain technology that are in conversations with us because there's now a compliant place for them to deploy. Um, so that's really the gist of it. Also tools, um, tax tools, accounting tools. You know, we expect a lot of financial tools to pop up because it's kind of a natural fit that People will be doing a lot of financial transacting out of their Werbly account, and so they're going to want some of these things, budgeting maybe, um, investment analysis tools. So I think there'll also be an ecosystem of those types of services as well that don't necessarily require compliance, but would launch for the convenience of you know, uh, the access to the users that they know are going to be doing these things, right? Sort of an audience for their product. Um, we also expect the Werbly account to become very full featured over time. Uh, we want to build uh, a very robust uh, journalistic presence on the network. We're looking at perpetual funding for people who want to report on, on the network. Uh, transparency is going to be a key part of what we do, not only for the Werbly Foundation, but something that we'd like to eventually see the governance kind of require of dApps on the network, that they be far more financially transparent about what they're doing uh, themselves. Um, you know, again, we want good reporting, people to be investigating, 
the activities on the network and making sure that, that, that applications are fair and trustworthy. You know, so we really want to see this sort of next generation of financial services that, that's far more honest, uh, again, far more transparent and far more accessible. You know, no, those are the sense. main things. I think that's very exciting. I think we are talking about a lot more uh, uh, normal use cases, which are not possible if you don't go with the KYC AML process. Right. We fully understand that uh, because we cannot just jump to a world where everything is trustless. We do need regulations uh, for fair reason because I think uh, people are uh, not mature enough to understand using cryptos and it's, uh, we are still a long way away from crypto and um, economies. Uh, yeah. So let me ask you finally, so let me say as an investor, if somebody is looking at Verbly today, uh, beyond airdrop, so you talked about staking, you talked about uh, uh, some kind of uh, interaction with the chain. So what, what can the investor do to get maximum out of Verbly? So what I understood till now is, of course, people who owned on September 7th, they automatically qualify for this airdrop. Uh, then they need to take an action to claim it. And mm -hmm. I'm assuming you will be sharing that information soon. Uh, beyond that, uh, do you also expect uh, people to track very closely the dApps or some other uh, things like what happened with EOS where dApps had uh, airdrops and so on? Do you expect similar kind of incentives for people on work? Yeah, so we, we yeah, so we, we uh, intend to encourage the dApps on our chain to do uh, things like airdrops and share drops when appropriate. Um, you know, we're already in discussions about some people who, who may want to build side chains on Warbly. Um, you know, we're, uh, you know, expecting there to be a, uh, the, the Chintai leasing platform is coming to Warbly. So there'll be some of those opportunities uh, to do some leasing. You know, I've said that uh, the way we're valuating, valuing crypto right now and doing valuation models is not accurate. Um, you know, Bitcoin's a digital currency. EOS is a, a, a platform. They're, they're totally different, you know, and you can't really value Bitcoin and EOS in the same way with the same metrics. You know, right now, all we say is token supply circulating and token price equals valuation. Well, that's not, that's not a real accurate valuation model, right? So I believe that programmable blockchains are more like property, more like land. Uh, there's something that you can build on, right? And so they have an inherent value and the value of the chain should be judged by uh, the technology, right? How advanced is the technology of the chain? What can you do with that land, right? So if I have a piece of land in the desert and a piece of land on the beach in Miami, right? They're worth different things because you can't do a lot on the piece of land in the desert as you can on a beachfront property, right? Oh so that's God. part of it. Also, what other things are already built, Right. Because, again, if we have a piece of completely undeveloped land in the middle of nowhere, it has a lot less value than a piece of property in Manhattan. Right. Where there's already all these businesses and all this foot traffic and all of this uh, value being created around you that you can tap into, form partnerships with, get customers easily. Right. Um, you know, so those are the things that I think people should be building valuations around programmable blockchains, thinking of them as more as land. Because again, when you, we're a true utility token, you know, we've had this vetted and so is EOS. Once that network is launched and the token is in your hands, what it really gives you is access to the network, whether it's to create an account, to stake the tokens for that, or again, to deploy a DAP 
or possibly to vote, right? To engage with the blockchain, but that's utility. Um, it's not really going to be used for money a lot. It can be, and because it's tokenized, it's easy to move, right? Uh, if my piece of property was owned by a hundred investors, it's not easy for us to trade that for value because it's deeded, right? And it's very difficult, right? I couldn't just say, hey, let me give you 5% of my hotel for your house, right? Mm -hmm. You can't do that in the real world, but on, with digital tokens, we can. So sometimes people see them as like money more so, but you know, they're really not. It's just that we've, we've got this great technology that allows us to move different types of value and assets around and exchange them just far more easily than you can in the real world. Um, well, that but, makes sense. Uh, no, I think that's a very good point, Dominic. And uh, it's very exciting the way uh, EOS is evolving and uh, the kind of uh, specializations uh, we are being built. So verbally, I see it as a very specialized chain focusing mm -hmm. on certain areas which uh, uh, maybe EOS uh, will not be able to cover the way it is defined today. And right. I think that's what is very exciting. And um, um, so what are your final words uh, before we conclude? Um, how do you see, like, when can we expect this kind of revolution happening? We are uh, with Verbally. Uh, what's your timelines and what's your vision for future? Yeah, so obviously the, the we go public uh, November 1st. You know, getting the chain launched is the priority. Getting the user accounts going, the share drop happening, all that good stuff. We want dApps launching as soon as possible thereafter. We're having numerous conversations to get applications to do that. We want to deploy a lot of tools that will facilitate dApp development, a lot of educational resources for both users and developers. And then really the beginning of next year, we'll be developing Gamma Financial. Um, there's numerous other product projects that we're trying to help and advise to get on chain. Um, and really 2019 should be just the year of deployment after deployment after deployment. We're trying to create a steady pipeline of various applications launching on chain. We hope there'll be a lot of competition too. Um, you know, we're going to open a type of decentralized bank, but we'd love to see other people do the same thing. You know, we want there to be a lot of consumer choice. Um, so that's really the future. And then IBC is a big thing. You know, in our blockchain communication, we're already working on it. You know, Block One's working on it. You know, we want there to be this as close to possible seamless experience in the EOS kind of galaxy, right? Like mainnet sort of the center of the galaxy. And then we'll have these specialized side chains with different features. And really, uh, for EOS to reach its full potential, which Dan has always talked about from the beginning was his vision that he expected this. He said lately, he thinks he's surprised there aren't as many forks. Yeah. Uh, he expected more, you know, so... Um, I think this is awesome and the future is really bright. And then IBC is just going to kind of bring us all together in this really beautiful user experience. That's what it's about for us, the user experience. We want this to be the type of account that when you tell your non-crypto, non-technical, non-blockchain friend who you've been talking about what you've been doing and they just are like, I don't know, that sounds risky. You'll be able to say, oh, okay, look, just open an account at Wordly. It's simple. Send your money in. We're going to have insured wallets for users where you can leave your digital assets in there. And if something were to happen, you're covered. There's an insurance policy, all of that safety and ease of use for the user. So we want this to be a very easy experience, both mobile and desktop, where people can interact with blockchain. Now, that sounds exciting, uh, Dominic. So thanks a lot for all the inputs and all the best uh, in future. So we are looking forward to Verbly and uh, uh, more we talk about it, I think uh, people are learning that uh, we need to accept uh, and welcome 
these new ideas. Uh, and EOS is getting stronger and stronger with uh, everything uh, which you talked about. So yeah, thanks absolutely. a lot and uh, wish you all the best. Yeah, thank you. And looking forward to the conference um, after the EOS Hackathon in San Francisco. It's going to be a sure, lot of fun. No, thanks a lot. And I think just to remind the viewers, so we do have a November 12th, our EOS conference. This is one of the only, I think, uh, exclusive EOS IEO conference we are having. And Dominic is one of the speakers. Uh, and uh, please come and join us if you're coming to San Francisco Hackathon. And even if you're not coming for a hackathon, this is a conference for everyone, even if you are a developer or investor. And look forward to see you there, Dominic. And uh, uh, and we will also talk. I think by that time you will be public. It will be more exciting stuff uh, to see from Wobbly by then. And yeah. what to hear more what you learned during the process. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a good time. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.